Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can take your seats. Well, if you don't know me, I'm, I'm Pastor Rob. I'm the pastor here at the church, and um, it's great to have you here with us this morning, and God wants to do something good in you. Uh, it's great to see Leah's back. I was just thinking of Leah yesterday, thinking, where's Leah been? Now she's back. Let's give her a welcome back. Look at that lovely bow. Why don't you do a victory lap around the church for us? No, it's okay. Now I've lost my train of thought there. She put me off. We have Alliston this morning, so it's great that we've got a team up at Alliston this morning doing church. Pastor Michael and Kimberly and Carlos are leading the charge to Alliston today. And it's so good that we're able to provide a service to Alliston um, at this stage once a month. But let's pray and believe that uh, we can extend that as time goes on. So I'm excited for what they're going to come back with today. Uh, also, and my theme this morning that I'm going to be speaking on is, is praying and prayer. And we're joining with ACC churches right across Australia uh, for the next 14 days, is it? Or, yeah, next 14 days, we've, we've got 21 days of prayer. We've already done seven, so do, do the maths. And we've got 21 days ahead of us. So join with us in praying for our nation, praying for our churches, praying for our pastors, praying for our leaders right across Australia. So um, get on board with that. It's, you'll see some more information at the end of the service. Um, um, so... I want to pray before I start um, preaching. So let's bow our heads and just ask the Lord to be in our message this morning. So Holy Spirit, I just pray today as we come around your word, Lord, may it be relevant, may it be real, may it be a, a true representation of your word to us this morning. And I thank you, Jesus, that you're going to change lives from today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you've got my, my title this morning is Getting God's Attention. So I guess we're so used in life today to activism. Um, we know how to lobby. There's lobby groups, specialist groups who lobby government, who lobby um, uh, different parts of our government to get what they want. So we call them activists. Uh, one of my earliest lessons um, of activism was, was in the union movement. And I was, I was a... I couldn't, I was, there was a stage in my life I could never imagine myself not in the union. I thought I was union forever. But somehow things changed in my life. But one of the earliest lessons, there was a dispute. I, I, so you understand my context, I was, started work at 16 years of old into the construction, 16 years of old, that's, yeah, cause <laughs> in the construction industry in Melbourne, that explains it all. So the English isn't that correct, but it, it worked for us. In that context, it was like there was, only, there was only two kinds of people, unions, unionists, or scabs. And you didn't want to be the scab, because there was less of them. So I remember a dispute had arisen, and I spoke to a guy, there's a, a guy, and, and the, the guys who have the most power on the building site isn't the manager, isn't the foreman, it's the guy who drives the lift. And, and, I, and there was this uh, Greek lift driver, and I said to him, hey, what do you think about all this stuff? I'm, I'm 16. I don't really know much about anything. And, and, and he, says these, he said this to me. He goes, unless the baby cries, and he, and he did exactly like this, it doesn't get any milk. Like that. Everyone do that. So that's a representing of a bottle. But from that mindset, we get this thing called activism, where they think that they've got to do an action. They've got to cry out they've got to do something to get 
the government's attention or to get the company's attention. Um, so we're going to look at all this, and I'm not, I'm not um, advocating this kind of stuff as, as a viable option in life. But from, the, from that mindset, we get, we get activism, the deliberate agitation to pressure those that we want to manipulate. That's what that's all about. It's trying to manipulate someone else. It's, it's trying to force an outcome on somebody else. That's what that is, is all about. So people who are really good at this, you won't even notice their manipulation. They're, they're so subtle but powerful in persuasive ways. So a really smart person does things and you're thinking, well, I'm just handing over my money and I'm loving it. But they're persuasive. They've tricked you. Or, or you, they, they, they're making you do things that you probably wouldn't have normally done. But others who are not so skilled or polished, they take to smashing shop windows and rampaging through the streets. Um, that's called activism. Here's some raging grannies. But I uh, just want to tell you, uh, rampaging activism doesn't get God's attention. So you might think, well, I'm going to get God's attention. I'm going to do some crazy stuff. But that doesn't get God's attention. Um, it may get people's attention, but it doesn't get God's attention. I had a very good friend um, that I used to work with. And he used to call me a God botherer. Because you probably heard my story on, on, on lunch times. Very often, I would go down to the Wesley Chapel in Melbourne and I'd leave work and we only have half an hour lunch, but you know, in the building industry, that can sort of be 45 minutes or an hour. Depends if you're in the middle of a 10-pin bowling game or not, then it can be two or three hours. But I, I'd go down to this Wesley Chapel and I'd, I'd pray and just get before God and, and it was like an escape from this, this world of... of, of uh, Pornography, swearing, violence, uh, drugs. I can tell you the truth. I was 16 years old and I bought two 303 rifles from a guy on a building site. 80 bucks each. I, it was an awesome bargain. But the thing is, I was immersed in that world, but I was looking for something deeper, something different, and I, I would find ways in that environment to say, God, I need a, a little escape with you. And so I'd, found, I'd find myself places to go. And at that, that stage of my life, I'd go to this Wesley Chapel and I'd, I'd pray and, and spend some time in God's presence and feel myself being refueled spiritually. And, and this one friend of mine, Neil, he'd say, oh, you God-botherer. You, you're bothering God again. But you know something? Getting God's attention doesn't bother him. But I'm going to show you this morning how we get God's attention. So in Luke chapter 5, verse 16... It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In, in some older versions of the Bible, it would say he went to the wilderness. He went to places where there, was, where, where there were no other distractions, might be a way of describing this. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So if we carry this thought forward of activism and ask ourselves the question, how do we get God's attention? See, some people may think, uh, we don't normally have to do this, but if you have a mobile phone, just turn it off right now. That's probably helpful. Um, but carry the thought forward. How do we get God's attention? Some people may think fasting or dramatic self-sacrifice would get God's attention. So we might think, well, I've got to do something dr dramatic spiritually to get God's attention so he'll notice 
my plea. So on fasting, that doesn't make God notice you. It helps you to notice God. So some people think, well, I fasted 21 days. God's got to know, got to hear my prayer. He'll hear your prayer anyway. What fasting does and what I've discovered myself personally is when I fast, I begin to see things I've never seen before, particularly in the Word. I want to also caution you. Don't live your life by your dreams because your dreams will deceive you. Live your life. You might get a dream that's got spiritual content. That's awesome. That's wonderful. But it's got to match up with what what you're also hearing and learning from the Word of God personally. That is the safest way to, to have a powerful spiritual life. Because there's too many times people are distracted and sidetracked. I've even known marriages that have failed because of a dream. Long story, but, but uh, th- this woman had a dream, saw all this stuff, and then, oh, you know, it's, it's my husband. He, he's, he's the one. And so she, she, she creates a, a, a great break in her relationship with her husband, all because of a dream that wasn't balanced with the Word of God. And, and I think that's very sad for that entire family. So I'm going off all over the place. Forgive me this morning. So there's a guy in the Bible called Jephthah, and uh, it's in Judges chapter 11, verses 30 and 31. So here's your, your Old Testament coming in. But he made a dramatic self-sacrifice to God, thinking he's going to get God's attention. And so he says, God, if you'll help me defeat the Ammonites, they were Israel's enemy, he said, whatever comes out of my door, whatever comes out of the gate first, when I get home from a, from a victory then I'm going to sacrifice it to you. So maybe they had a pet sheep that always used to come out. Maybe there was, there was a calf that used to love him when he came home. But you know what? The thing or the person that came out the door first when he got home from the victory was his only daughter. Now the, the sad part about it, there was a way out of that vow, but because of his pride and because of his ignorance to who God really was, he he uh, basically sacrificed his daughter or murdered his daughter because that wasn't a sacrifice to God that God would have even wanted or put in his mind. It was a sad thing. But he made a dramatic, um, uh, a dramatic thing, trying to think of something really clever to say, but it was unnecessary. And it was unwise and brought no glory to God. So... There was a way out of it, but his pride didn't allow him to find it. He didn't, he didn't ask anyone's advice. He didn't go to a priest. He didn't go to uh, anybody else to say, well, hang on, I've made this vow. What should I do? So he says, well, I have to, can't lose face. And, and he, he sacrificed his daughter. But one of the big questions many people have, and I've spoken on this a lot, is unanswered prayer. Because unanswered prayer is one of the biggest questions people, including Christians, have with God. And I think we really need to uh, answer this question in our life as the church so that we can have a good foundation of, of uh, uh, these kind of questions. Because I know a lot of people can say, well, you know what? If you talk to them about something and you say, can I pray with you? I'm talking about Christians in a church context. And they'll, they'll often say, I don't know what that will do, especially if they're your kids. Like, I don't know what that's going to do. That's not going to help. But one of the problems here is when we pray, telling God what the answer must be. So it's like I said this morning in the early morning prayer meeting, is I said it's like getting, um, going to the doctor and you get a diagnosis and then you tell the doctor how you're going to treat it. 
she say, okay, doctor, I've got these symptoms, I feel sick. And they have a look at you and they do, a, they do an examination and they say, okay, we know what it is. And then you say, well, hang on a minute, I disagree with that. Now I'm going to tell you what I'm going to have. You think that was crazy. But you know what? We go to God saying, God, here's my, here's my life, here's my issue, but this is what you need to do to make it right. And God says, well, you know what? I can see bigger than you. I can see bigger than that problem. I can see, I can see a whole perspective of everything. And if I give you that, then it's not going to be the answer that you need. So I want us to, to rediscover the, 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 the factor of bringing God into our prayers. That's what my whole theme is tonight, is getting God's attention. So to do that, we've got to discover language that God understands. We've got to discover a language that God understands so that we speak his language. So first key there is God operates according to his word, which is, his, which is our Bible today. John chapter 1, I love John chapter 1, it says the word, the word was God, the word was with God, um, the word became flesh and lived among us. So the word is Jesus. Is Jesus. So um, any prayer that we that we pray if we want God to be in it, we have to have Jesus in it, according to his word, according to, to the things that we see in, in the Bible. And one of the great things about that is if you, if you discover something and, and, and you realize what God says about an issue in your Bible and you start saying, God, I'm going to pray that into my life, there's a good chance that will, that will be. But if you're living off a dream or an imagination or, or, or something that someone else told you, then you're probably going to be disappointed. So that in itself can answer many unanswered prayers that if, we, if, we, if we're praying not in God's word. The second key is God operates through our faith in his word. And that unlocks the mystery of prayer. So let's go home. But I want to give you three key words that aren't really in common language that get God's attention. They are those three words there. Contrite, petition, and supplication. We're going to have a quick look at those, and hopefully they'll help you using the word of God in your, in your prayers. Remember, God operates according to his word, and he operates according to our faith in what his word tells us. Does that make sense so far? I haven't lost everybody. You know something? I, I, I really um, want to encourage you today that God answers prayers that are prayed according to these keys. So number one, contrite. It's not a word that we would use in common conversation these days. But it's a recognition one has done wrong. It means that you know that you, you, your condition is sinful. So having a contrite attitude means that I, I know I'm not perfect. And it's, it is the opposite to those who think they've done nothing wrong. I know it's always an awkward kind of conversation when, when you're with someone who cannot see that they, there was any fault on their heart, on their part. So it wasn't me, it was all them. So when there's a situation like that, you, can, you get very little resolutions when there's a party that says, it was, I did nothing wrong. It's not my fault at all. It was all because of their, their problems. But Psalm 51, 17, it says that 
My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. So that tells us a little bit about what God looks for in our prayer. So God accepts those with a contrite heart. Isaiah 57 verse 15 tells us God dwells with the contrite. Isaiah 66 verse 2, God shows favour to the contrite. God shows favour to those who, who uh, realise that they have wrong in their heart. So something is taken off us by God when we come to God recognising we have done wrong. You know, there's, often people say, I feel like a burden's been lifted when they know they've had a breakthrough. And, and I believe in our prayer, prayer life, if we're able to say, God, I see my fault, I see my, my, my weakness, I see the areas that I've let you down, and we come to the Lord with a contrite spirit, God will dwell with us. Doesn't we, God's not saying, you get yourself right, you get yourself perfect, you make sure all those things are covered in your life, and then I might be nice to you. That's what we think, because we, we're measuring God by our standard. And that's not the standard God uses. But something is taking off us when we come to God recognising that we have wrong. There's an example of a contrite prayer uh, in the book of Daniel. And we're going to look at that um, a little bit. But I, I really think there's, there's huge keys in the book of Daniel, especially chapter 9, about praying effectively. It says this in, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. Daniel speaking. He says, I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill. Or in, in other versions it says for Jerusalem, for the city where, where I came from. So the first thing we need to come to God to get his attention is a contrite spirit. Not a God, I've done nothing wrong. God, I know I've done everything to please you. Can't you see how much I've fasted? Can't you see how much I've sacrificed? I'll give everything to you, God. We don't need to come like that. We need to come with a, with a real perspective of our own brokenness and our own need for, for Jesus. So the second thing we need is petition. Now, a petition today means a formal written request. So you ever signed a petition? One, one thing on petitions, I heard this oh, probably 30 years ago. And that is, we never change the world from, from the bottom up. So we might think, we're going we're gonna to have a petition with 5 million signatures. You know what? That doesn't mean you're going to change anything. We need people, men and women, who are believers, who are, who are in parliament, who are in government, who are in local council, who change things from the top down. So you only need one person in parliament who can have a much louder voice than 5 million people on a petition. That's just how it works. I'm, I'm all for petitions but I don't like marching down the street with placards. I've been there, done that, smashed windows. <laughs> but it's not the way we're going to get God's attention. But I want to just, on that, I, I, want to, uh, I want to encourage you, even young people here today, that you can make a huge difference, difference in the world by, by being the best you can and, and finding yourself at the top. Not thinking I'm going to agitate the world by getting petitions for everything and, and, and you know, putting that towards... You know, to, to our politicians or to our prime minister, you know what? You'd be much better instead of using all that energy to see five million people say, 
I want to get myself in the, into politics and I want to make a difference in the country that we have. And that will work. But a petition is a formal written request. In Daniel 9 verse 3, it says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. It sounds very morbid there. But petition in this context is Daniel's formal prayer. His formal prayer to God. He's, he's asking with clarity. He's asking with direction for the Jews that are exiled to Babylon. He prays reminding God of the covenant with Israel. I believe Daniel wrote it down and he prayed it more than once. How do we know that? Because Daniel 9 verse 4 to 19, if we look at that prayer carefully, it's all, it's all uh, recorded and you'll see Daniel uses all three of, of my keys. He's, using, uh, he's coming contrite. He's bringing petition. And he's, he's bringing our next thing is also supplication. These are great words. And who loves deep preaching? If I was really clever, I'd throw in some Greek words that we can't even pronounce or you'll never remember. But you know something? You know, one of the things we really need to be wary of is that we don't want such deep stuff that, that we get lost anyway. If I go too deep, I'll lose myself. I can't understand it. No one else will. So the next word is supplication. It means earnestly appealing. It's a humble request, uh, a prayer with passion or desperation. That's supplication. I think some people might even go so far as to say it's, it's like begging, but I think that gives it a wrong connotation to the context that we would have of begging. But a, it's a powerful supplication um, is, a, is appealing humbly but with passion and desperation. And an a example of, of a supplication prayer is Jesus' prayer in the garden before he's arrested and, and then crucified. In Luke 22, verse 44, it says he prayed more fervently and he was, he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. He's, he's praying a, a supplication prayer to God, the Father. In Philippians 4 verse 6, it says, uh, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. The New King, the King James Version uses the word supplication in that prayer. But it's bringing an earnest appeal to God in your prayer. So, to be able to do that effectively, I don't think we can separate ourselves from the, the Holy Spirit in our life to direct our praying. So pray in the Holy Spirit that we pray prayers that matter to God. Because it is so misguided of us to pray prayers that only matter to us, that only matter to me. Because if, the, if I was only praying on the things that matter to me, I'll be saying, God, all I need is, is, is 200 million acres filled with feral pigs and an and endless supply of, of ammunition and, 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 and maybe a boat now and then, and that'll be good for me. But my prayers aren't going to be very effective or very, um, very Holy Spirit orientated if I'm only thinking about me. Give me no problems, give me no worries. Give me no vegetables to eat. 
But praying in the Holy Spirit, things that matter to God. It's a bringing a whole new shift. Our, our vision statement for our church is to be a large, relevant church of mature believers who love our community. And what we have to work on this year to be fruitful in our church is to be developing ourselves into a mature believer a mature believer doesn't just see this saying god i just need a car park right now god i just need to find that library book god i just need help with this assignment god i just need and the, the issue there is always god i and we want to have the holy spirit inspired saying god i want to i'm praying for a, for a much greater perspective with a greater perspective we, I call it base-level pray, things that only matter to ourselves, or high-level pray, praying that is about things that are important to God. Ephesians 6.18 tells us, pray in the Spirit at all times, and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. There's a whole lot of great keys there about praying high-level prayers. If you just wrote that down today or put it in your phone or whatever you want to do, but, but you, you apply Ephesians 6.18 to every prayer. And I'll tell you something, your prayer, your prayer experience will change. Your prayer experience of, of answered prayers will change. Now, Daniel was a, was a man in, in the Bible that had God's attention. And I want us to see a few things about Daniel's life. So if you're serious about the subject of prayer, we'll learn a lot from Daniel. He prayed while he, while he was a captive in a foreign land. Just think about that for a minute. He was a young man, may, maybe when he was captured by the Babylonians, when his country was invaded, a, an army came, attacked the city, attacked the, the country, um, captured the city, and then got everybody and said, uh, right, you coming with us? Could you imagine if... If Australia was attacked and, and conquered, and they said, now we're going to take you to Mexico. But I don't even like Mexican food. See, that's what Daniel, he's like, he's in Babylon. He goes, I don't like Babylonian food. And he says, I can't eat this. So you're, you're like him, and, and, and you're in Mexico, and they're saying, you're going to eat this stuff. You'd be like, no, I can't eat this. It's going to defile me. But he prayed while he was a captive in a, in a foreign country. So we sometimes think, well, you know, things didn't turn out. The mail didn't turn up on time. So we, get, we live in this disappointment all the time. But he, here he is with a, with a real life crisis. His whole nation, imagine it, his whole nation has been disbanded. It no longer exists. It's not there. It's gone. And he's, he still prays. So he prays while under pressure. He even prays when it becomes illegal to pray. Daniel shows, that, shows us that we can pray even when a whole world falls apart as his did. So his attitude to prayer is summed up beautifully here in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. So the, 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 govern, the government... Um, was it? The, the, the parliament has decided in Babylon that anyone who prays to any god except the king is got to be executed by being fed to lions. And what Daniel does, and they did it specifically to catch him, it says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, that is, you're not allowed to pray for a month, 
he went home and knelt down, there's a, a powerful key there, as usual, in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. There's, there's again another whole ton of, of amazing revelation in that. But one that I want to just point out to you that, that I, I just think is important is he knelt down as usual. And I'll tell you, we need to have an as usual. Part of our life is, is prayer time with God. It's not as occasional or as sometimes, but his as usual was he prayed. He had a disciplined relationship with God in prayer. So the key to his wisdom, because he was an incredibly wise man, and the key to his spiritual awareness was his high-level prayer life. He wasn't just praying about God, you know. Here I am, I'm a captive, please set me free. He lived and died in Babylon. But he never stopped praying and believing and living at a high-level spiritual life. So I want to put it to you, the church today must become like Daniel in our praying. It will cause us to be spiritually in the game for everything that comes our way. Port Lincoln needs a praying people. Our state needs praying people. Our country needs praying people. We need to be a praying people who know how to get God's attention. Right now, you may not have the ear or the, the contact with the decision makers in this world. But you may be positioned in a school and you have, you have ability to pray there. You may not have the ear of the Prime Minister or the Premier or the Queen, but you do where you work. You do in your business. You do in your sports or in your social settings. You have been positioned to be of influence where you are. And you need to, you need to see people. And you need to be praying for the people needs all around you. Don't keep it at base level prayer. Begin praying for, for, for the, an infilling of the Holy Spirit to, to direct your prayers into powerful, explosive, spiritual breakthroughs. If you could just close your eyes with me this morning right now, just to give each other some privacy. Because I, I really feel that God is seeking those who will make a, con a conscious decision to be a prayer. Perhaps you already do that. That's good. I want to encourage you to keep doing that. But today there are people whose hearts have been stirred to pray in a new way. And I want to encourage people this morning that through your prayers we can change a nation. Through our prayers we can have influence from the top down, not the bottom up. I'm just going to ask people and, and please um, give each other the privacy and there's no judgment or anything here. But I'm going to call for people to respond. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front this morning. But I'm going to ask that you'll stand to your feet if you feel a stirring in your heart to go to a new level in your praying. 
If you're saying, God, I want, I want to be part of the answer to the world's problems. I want to, I want to be uh, uh, declaring your prayers. I want to be praying Holy Spirit prayers. I want to step into a new level in my prayer life. And, and please just ask that your, your eyes remain closed. But I'm going to ask those people to stand right now if that's, your, that's something God's stirring in you today. We're going to declare this together. You can speak this out after me. Lord Jesus, I declare that I will pray. That I am among praying people. That my prayers are going to influence the world for the better. Lord, give me a burden to turn to you first in every situation. God, I'm going to pray for your attention. Why don't you just put your hands in front of you this morning and say, Lord Jesus, fill me with the Holy Spirit as I pray. Take me to the place of high-level prayers where my burden is for your kingdom purpose. May we see the world changed this morning. By the power of these prayers, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take your seats. I want to end with this from Chris Hodges from his book, The Daniel Dilemma. For us, our problems seem overwhelming and all-encompassing, while God seems small and distant. But for God, the all-powerful and all-present Lord of all creation, our problems must seem quite small. However, when we, when we meet him in a quiet time alone, together, then our perspective reaches a point of balance. We, we still may not be able to see beyond our problems or imagine how we'll get through, but we know we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus and each step forward. I just think that is so encouraging this morning. So I want to encourage you to uh, develop day by day, week by week, month by month, a habit of praying high-level prayers. And I know God is going to uh, develop that ability within you. He's going to uh, put other people around you who can help you pray like that as well. And I just know that we're going to see incredible fruit and fruitfulness in 2018 in our church when we begin to focus how we pray and what we pray for his glory. God bless you all.